カハンニャハラミタシンギョウ Thank you for joining the Zen Care Podcast. These recorded Dharma talks are given freely to our community in the heart of New York City, which we are honored to now share with you. New York Zen Center for Contemplative Care is dedicated to transforming the nature of care through contemplative practice by meeting illness, aging, and death with compassion and wisdom. Learn about us at zencare.org. Fear, courage, compassion, love in relationships. That's something we all want, right? Admit it. <laughs> you know, come on, let's be vulnerable, right? We cannot survive well without being loved.、Um, and those in relationship with us do much better. When they receive our love, right? No doubt, right? And also, it's hard to do sometimes, really hard to do. And that's why we sacrifice ourselves by coming into retreat when we could be doing anything else, anything but this looking at ourselves, right? Traveling these distances,、um, being with complete strangers, but not for long, right? Not strangers forever. Um, we could be doing a myriad of things, but we choose to sacrifice、uh, those things in order to be here to learn how to be in relationship with each other and how to bring、uh, the power of love forth and through us for the welfare of all. So I thought、uh, I could say a little bit. About myself, just a little bit, because someone asked me the other day, So, who are you? <laughs> I said, Right? Why, why am I here? Who am I?、Um, and I'll, I'll just say this I grew up in the United Methodist Church. Grew up in the United Methodist Church.、Um, and then,、uh, at the, but I kind of left it at the age of 16. Um, though I remained in the church because I lived in my mother's house, and those who lived in her house went to church every Sunday. So for two years, I sat there like, okay. Fast forward,、uh, I was at an airport when the、uh, World Trade Centers were being bombed, and the anxiety in the airport. Was something that I carried back home with me in my body. I'd never experienced that before. And I happened to be turning 40 years old, so I had this plan. I was going to have this big party. I never thought I would live to be 40 years old. Now that sounds so young, right? But oh, 40, I got to have a party.、Um, but what I wanted changed. I told my friends, don't bring me anything. Don't bring me anything because the only thing I need right now is peace of mind. The United States is going to retaliate. They don't know against whom we're going to war. I need peace of mind. So, one of my friends, who is not a Buddhist practitioner and didn't even know who this man was, gave me a copy of Thich Nhat Hanh's book called Touching Peace. And 
not knowing anything about Buddhism, I was not intimidated by this book because it's a short book. <laughs> it's a short book. I said I wanted peace of mind, touching peace. I'll touch peace, but I don't know about this thing. Um, so, but what I did, I, um, I opened it up. Now, hold on. Where is it? Okay. I want to read the, uh, the meditation to you in case you don't know it, just so that you can get a sense of what captivated me. It goes like this. Breathing in, I see myself as a flower. Breathing out, I feel fresh. Flower, fresh. Breathing in, I see myself as a mountain. Breathing out, I feel solid. Mountain, solid. Breathing in, I see myself as still water. Breathing out, I reflect things as they are. Water, reflecting. Breathing in, I see myself as space. Breathing out, I feel free. And I was like, what? <laughs> it had an immediate impact on me. And I just wanted to know more, more. And I, because you know I'm greedy. I gobbled it up. I don't know how many books I read by Thich Nhat Hanh in two or three years before I gained the confidence to actually sit with the Sangha. And then I read many more. It's like he was writing as more than I could read, but um, just gobbling and gobbling and thinking this is the best thing. This is the best thing. Right around the time I was given the book, I had been accepted into the Zen Hospice Project as a volunteer, knowing nothing about Buddhism, knowing nothing about Zen, but I did know that I wanted to be a hospice volunteer, and that's a longer story. But um, anyway, they accepted me for some reason. I, I don't know why. Um, but the combination of Thich Nhat Hanh's teachings and Soto Zen practice in the context of of um, hospice work was so powerful and so transforming that again, I just, I wanted to know more. With almost every conversation I had with the patients, like I felt I've just learned something that I can't even really quantify or even qualify, but also it exposed my vulnerabilities and what I didn't know. So I decided I wanted to learn more so then after that year passed, I enrolled in the Sati Center, Sati Center for Buddhist Studies in Redwood City. I enrolled in their uh, Buddhist chaplaincy training program. And there I was introduced to the Metta Sutta. And I'd like to read it to you in the, in the event you're not familiar with it. Okay. And this happens to be a translation from a Dharma teacher, Gil Franzdahl. To reach the state of peace, one skilled in the good should be capable and upright, straightforward and easy to speak to, gentle and not proud, contented and easily supported, living lightly and with few duties, wise and with senses calmed, not arrogant, and without greed for supporters, 
and should not do the least thing that the wise would criticize. One should reflect, may all be happy and secure. May all beings be happy at heart. All living beings, whether weak or strong, tall, large, medium, or short, tiny or big, seen or unseen, near or distant, born or to be born. May they all be happy. Let no one deceive another or despise anyone anywhere. Let no one through anger or aversion wish for others to suffer. As a mother would risk her own life to protect her child, her only child, so toward all beings should one cultivate a boundless heart. With loving kindness for the whole world should one cultivate a boundless heart, above, below, and all around, without obstruction, without hate, and without ill will, standing or walking, sitting or lying down. Whenever one is awake, may one stay with this recollection. This is called a sublime abiding here and now. One who is virtuous, endowed with vision, not taken by views, and having overcome all greed for sensual pleasure, will not be reborn again. One of the other things that I learned at Sati Center was something about the Bodhisattva and the Bodhisattva vow. So in that training program, we were asked to adopt the Metta Sutta sort of as our heart sutra, if you will, and uh, to come to understand the Bodhisattva vow, the core of the Bodhisattva vow as not turning away from the suffering of oneself and from others to be able to learn to face the suffering of others is the core ability, desire, skill, aspiration of a bodhisattva. And when we are able to do that, then we can face our fear. And when we face our fear, we become courageous. And when we become courageous, we can learn to be compassionate. And when we learn to be compassionate, then we are in relationship with others in a beneficial and nurturing way where others feel like they belong, that they're seen, that they're being witnessed to, and that they matter. Yeah. There was another sutta that we learned about in the sati program, which is the simile of the saw. Do you all know the simile of the saw? Yeah, okay. Well, in essence, it goes like this goes through many, many things, but there's a part of the sutta uh, that says, even if bandits approach you and try to saw your limbs away from your body, limb by limb, that you will commit to keeping the mind and heart of loving kindness towards them even when they are amputating you. Now, what kind of love is that? Okay, I'm like, mm. 
I don't know. Can you imagine reading this for the first time and thinking, what have I signed up for? <laughs> oh, hell no. Okay, first of all, give me that damn saw. Secondly, no. Um, <laughs> but now, 22 years in, I can imagine, because I've never been faced with something so you know, dangerous, but there are many other ways to cut people. We know that, right? Many those little cuts, all those little cuts, right? Um, and I think the simile of the saw is teaching us, it's teaching me that my mind is not to be cultivated by the people who are hurting me. I will not give them that power. That they would love that, to have that kind of power over my mind. Oh, hell no. You can take my arm, because I got another one. You can't take my mind. This is the kind of love that Buddhism is about. So as I began to think about, well, this uh, society we live in, which has been by some criticized as being romantic. Yeah, oh, you Americans, I've heard this before. You Americans, you make friends so easily. You don't have to earn a person's friendship. Yeah, you know, you're so spontaneous. You become friends like immediately. You don't even know the person, right? Um, Buddhism, in my view, when I think about love and Buddhism, it's, um, it's not romantic. And by that, I'm not talking about sexual. I'm just saying it's not delusion. It's not delusional. It also is not uh, clinging and codependent. It's not possessive. And it's not a power trip. It's not a way to use people. And it's not a way to get what you want. Oh, I'll love you so that I can get love back. It's not that kind of love. It's also not an opportunity for fulfilling narcissistic supply. Do you know what I mean by narcissistic? You know, some people, oh. <laughs> Amen and Sadhu, right? It's not that. It is not that, okay? Narcissistic supply. Mm, I'm loved. I must be great. That's narcissistic supply. That's not what Buddhist love is about. And my understanding is that Buddhist love is steeped. It is steeped in wisdom. That's what we chant the Heart Sutra for, the cultivation of wisdom. So this kind of love is steeped in wisdom. I believe this kind of love is optimistic about human nature. It's optimistic. In other words, now let me go back to the simile of the saw and say, I've read a few versions. One says, not only do you keep to your uh, meta practice as people are cutting you, you also verbalize in the midst of the attack 
that you believe that this person can do better. <laughs> Check that out, boom, right? You just put a knife in my chest and I also believe you can pull it out. Try it. Whoa, I, I don't know. That's hard. I, I tend to do that well with my child. Yeah, because I'm still in that, you know, cultivation mode, trying to bring this child up who's 27. Uh, <laughs> What does that say about my parenting? Anywho. Um, <laughs> but now let me go back to the Metta Sutta, right? That everyone, if we were to treat everyone like a mother treats her child, her only child, that's the kind of boundless love that we're talking about in this tradition. Everyone, I'm going to look at every one of you. Every one of us has the capacity to look at every one of us and see the potential for um, uh, the cultivation of love in each and every one of us, as if, maybe as the Tibetans say, Tibetan Buddhists say, we were related in a previous life. Yeah. And I have chosen, this is Ayoya Tende's Buddhism, I have chosen to not focus on my belief about whether there's a, a previous life or not, because we can be related to one another right now if we choose to. Right now, we can adopt each other as kinfolk. This is the work, this is my project. Yeah, my personal project to adopt all y'all. I was easy to have a family reunion. Maybe before it's all over, we'll be in a line dance you know, we do it black family reunions anyway. Um, we can. Nobody can stop us. But um, this is the kind of love we're talking about. Um, so it's optimistic about human nature, right? And we don't need to know each other to know that as human beings, we have certain capabilities. Right? And we can decide in this uh, act of loving kindness whether we want to call them out in the midst of your suffering, each other's suffering. When someone's attacking another person, they're suffering. Yeah, and I'm not talking about self-defense. I'm talking about offensively going after someone is suffering, no matter how justified they feel. This type of love, uh, I think, based on what I've read and practiced about Buddhism, especially if we go back to the first uh, meditation I read from Thich Nhat Hanh, it tends toward decentering the human being as superior to all other life forms. Mm. What you think? We are not the center of the universe. And we, as a species, have done everything to convince ourselves that we are. Yeah. Uh, this type of love is affirming 
our potential for wholesome thought and behavior. The Noble Eightfold Path is all about that from my point of view. And we can affirm that in each other, that I know that you have the capacity to think differently and behave differently. How do I know that, never having met you before? Because you are a human being and I am a human being. And I don't always act the same way all the time. And I know that you don't either. Yeah. This kind of love tends toward non-discrimination, as in equality, as in there's no one in this room who is better than anyone else. And there's no one in this room who's worse than anyone else. And lastly, in the interest of time, I'll say this. This kind of love is consciousness altering. Buddhist love is about altering consciousness, especially in the presence of suffering, constriction, a certain kind of uh, caught in views, a certain kind of um, um, attachment to things that aren't beneficial. And fear sometimes comes up when we think, am I the one to engage in a consciousness-altering response? Who am I to think that I know best or know better to offer a consciousness-altering alternative. Who am I? Only you can answer that for yourself, right? You can only answer that for yourself. But sometimes you know you're the one because it's only you. It's, this is the moment. There's no, look around. There's nobody else here. Okay, and this person is steeped in suffering. Hmm. Who can I call? I don't have a lifeline. Let me, let me deal with this right now. Yeah. Let me take the risk in being wrong. I'll take the risk in being wrong. This is what it means to cultivate uh, courage. It's almost like an experiment. We will make mistakes. Right? We need to work on our perfectionistic tendencies yeah, in order to cultivate this kind of courage. Sometimes you just have to say, that's wrong. That's wrong. I will not tolerate it. Stop. That's bullshit, right? Who you fooling? Come on now. I mean, there are all kinds of responses, right, to call people on their stuff. I get called on stuff every five years. No. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, see, you know. You know that's not true. Because I'm married. Okay. Um, <laughs> So what do you think? Does this sound like love to you? I'll repeat it. Um, it's not romantic, it's not clinging, it's not codependent, it's not possessive, it's not a power trip, it's not an opportunity for fulfilling narcissistic supply, it's steeped in wisdom, it's optimistic about human nature, tends toward decentering human being superiority. It's affirming our potential for wholesome thought and behavior, tending towards non-discrimination, and 
it is consciousness altering. What are your thoughts?